Welcome to Nostrum, the debate soap opera, where deontology is more than just an idea, it's a rebuttal by Jules O'Shaughnessy and the Nostrumite. Before we get going, we do like to remind you that just as Jules and the Nostromite began writing these episodes at the beginning, you should begin listening at the beginning. All of our previous episodes are available at www.jimmenick.com. For those of you who are listening in real time, we are back. For those of you who are listening in unreal time, God, I envy you. We have had a fairly long hiatus. Once I got into the hiatus mode, it was hard to get out of it. But nonetheless, I do intend to get back to business and make a little more headway in the collected works of Jules O'Shaughnessy and the Nostromite, if the one thing they did can count as a collected work. I'm happy to report for you real-timers you unreal-timers really won't get the importance of this. But for you real-timers, we have come back with a, what I consider, remarkable episode. This is one that's going to require some work on your part. You're going to have to pick up some of the slack this time. This is the notorious postmodern Mark Twain episode. Then you'll find out why shortly as we dive in to episode 55, Hand Me the Construction Paper. History is bunk. Lisa Tort is sitting on the edge of her desk, swinging her right leg back and forth, nursing her narrative isn't coffee mug in her hands. It is the first day of the first class of the rest of her life, taking over Seth B. Obamash's social studies teaching assignment. This is, in fact, the first class of her own that she has ever taught. She has her teaching certificate, and she has babysat more than her share of substitute classes, but this is the first class that is all hers. Sort of. After all, it is, in a way, sloppy seconds, coming as it does as a legacy from Obamash. The first quarter of the marking period is half over, and she doesn't know any of the kids' names. And these are the 11 seniors in Veil of Ignorance's Advanced Placement European History class. Lisa Tort teaching AP Euro. Fate is a strange animal. They are staring at her expectantly. Well, of course they're expectant. An AP course in a suburban Catholic school. These kids aren't idiots. As a whole, they may not be up to Manhattan Lodestone, but a hand-picked class like this includes the cream of the crop, a cream every bit as premium as the Lodestone crew. One of them, the slightly chubby, pimply one up front, is familiar to her. Must be a debater, she thinks. 
She hasn't met the debaters yet. The first team meeting is scheduled for this afternoon. What a Monday. Nothing but beginnings from morning till night. History does not exist, she continues. There is no story of any sort with a beginning, a middle, and an end that can explain the past. There is no development with past events progressively leading to betterment. The narrative of history is a pedagogic conceit stemming from the main conceit of human existence, and that is that because human lives have a beginning and an end, therefore everything relating to human lives must also have a beginning and an end. To understand the mysteries of life, human beings have invented the narrative, or more to the point, the story, which they overlay on random events to explain those events and therefore life itself. The expectancy is slowly turning blank. High school seniors don't give long honeymoons to their new teachers, usually about seven and a half minutes. Can someone define paranoia for me, she asks. The boy she thinks is a debater raises his hand. And you are, she asks, Bill O'Connor. All right, Bill, define paranoia. The feeling that people are out to get you. She nods. The feeling that people are out to get you. How does a paranoid get that feeling? Bill O'Connor looks up at her blankly. Because people are really out to get them? A minor laugh ripples through the classroom. Occasionally, Lisa says with a smile, but think about this. What a paranoid does, a paranoid who, in fact, does not have anyone out to get them, is that he looks at random events around him and sees a pattern that isn't there. That pattern, which is a fiction, becomes to him a reality. And hence we have our paranoid. Make sense? There are some nods here and there, including Bill O'Connor. So follow this train of thought, Lisa continues. What does a historian do? He looks at random events and sees a pattern that isn't there. That pattern, which is a fiction, he calls history. You could define history, if you want, as an academically acceptable paranoia. But there is a pattern, Bill says. What pattern? Well, I mean, things happen for a reason, cause and effect. Lisa shrugs. Cause and effect, I'll grant you that occasionally. But only very occasionally, in a physical Newtonian sense. A mushroom cloud is the effect of dropping the bomb on Hiroshima, but what is dropping the bomb the effect of? A moment's thought. Truman's decision to quickly end the war with Japan, Bill O'Connor says tentatively. Lisa shakes her head. That would mean that if he hadn't made his decision, we wouldn't have dropped the bomb. Right. Prove it. Pause. I, I can't. She smiles. And you didn't try. The attempt would have been logically impossible. I know. You're a debater, right? Yeah. She winks at him. I'll see you later this afternoon. She looks around the room. She seems to have everyone's attention. What I'm trying to say is post hoc ergo propter hoc. Just because two things happened in sequence does not necessarily mean that the second thing was caused by the first thing. That is what we call a logical fallacy. 
But it's sometimes true, a girl in the back says, it stands to reason. We intuit it as a truth, but that doesn't make it a truth. Intuition is not reality, it is just our perception of reality, and not even a particularly well-thought-out perception of reality. So what are you saying, then, that all events are random? Yes. The girl starts to say something, then stops. That doesn't make sense. All right, Lisa says. Think about this. What is the one objective frame of reference that applies to all events? I'll answer that for you. Time. All events take place on a time scale. So what we as humans do is create a narrative out of the events starting at the beginning and working our way along that time scale. But the connections in the narrative, other than time itself, are only in the eyes of the beholders. It's the same way we look at clouds and see shapes. The shapes are subjective, and the clouds are not those shapes. Those shapes are merely our imposition of our subjective selves on the objective reality of clouds. But that's not true, the girl says. The clouds do have objective shape, and there's more to history than just sequence. Is there? There has to be. Otherwise, what's the point of studying it? Beats me, Lisa Tort says. The room is silent. Kids love a teacher who stubbornly argues against the necessity of the course they are being taught. Why are you saying all this, Bill O'Connor asks. I mean, don't you believe in history? I'll get back to you on that. Does the word modernism mean anything to anyone? Like modern art, Bill says. Sure, like modern art. I want you to think about abstract paintings. Like when a painter does a picture that's all white or just a bunch of dots on a canvas? Exactly. Why do they do that? It's a lot easier than making a real painting, someone says. Everyone laughs. The artist is thinking about art itself, Lisa says. What he or she is doing is trying to figure out what art is, or at least commenting on what art is. He's saying that art is more than just creating a representation of reality with a bunch of paints, although it certainly can be that. If you don't think about what you're doing and you just do it, you make art. You construct art. When you think about it, you deconstruct it. Deconstructing is taking something apart to see what it's made of, the removal of its narrative structure to examine its parts. Structuralism, you might say. So doesn't that explain the all-white painting? It's a deconstructed painting, someone asks. Not exactly. It's more like what painting is after the artist has deconstructed his art, after he's removed the very tricky and confusing aspect of representing reality on a canvas. Maybe art is about paint, or about color, or the lack or presence of color, or lack or presence of composition. It depends, but painting to the modernist, and certainly to the deconstructionalist, becomes an intellectual activity that comments on painting itself. The subject isn't representational anymore, like a portrait where it's a picture of somebody. The subject is white paint. Why would anyone want to hang that on their living room wall? Who knows? To figure that out, you would have to deconstruct the process of acquiring art. That's a different subject entirely. Is this going to be on the final, Bill O'Connor asks, another general laugh. Take another area, Lisa Tort says, writing. What is a novel? A story, Bill suggests. Of course, a narrative. What would happen if you deconstructed 
the writing of fiction. You would take away the narrative and study writing as writing. Lisa Torp bestows an enormous smile on Bill O'Connor. By George, I think he's got it. So what does that lead to in literature? Books without narrative. Robe Grier writes the Nouveau Roman. William Burroughs cuts up newspapers and pastes the results into a manuscript at random. James Joyce creates his own language to write Finnegan's Wake. The possibilities are endless. And they're not necessarily books that you want to read for fun, but instead they're commentaries on books per se. Remove the narrative, deconstruct the work, uncover its structure, Bill says. And the result, Lisa asks. Everyone looks interested, but nobody answers. The result, she continues, is better understanding of the nature of the art itself, rather than the subject of the art. Although you may also better understand the subject, too. In fact, you probably will. I get it, then. If you deconstruct history... You take away the narrative, you deconstruct it, and you end up understanding history better as history, and probably the subject of history, too. Lisa Tort stands up and faces the blackboard. She finds a piece of chalk and writes the words, history is bunk. She waits a second and erases the words. Then she writes the slogan from her mug, narrative isn't. That is our philosophy, she says. Narrative isn't. Which, of course, takes us to the place you go after you've deconstructed everything and modernism has ended. What place is that? Welcome to the age of Pomo, Mr. O'Connor. Pomo, postmodernism. In modernism, artists take their art to the extreme by deconstructing their art and examining the process. In postmodernism, they take the next step beyond the extreme. They've reconstruct. Any questions? She can tell from the looks on their faces that she has engaged them. They don't have any questions, but they seem to have some answers. The questions will come later. Welcome to the age of Pomo, which, as we understand it, is somewhere to the left of the Bahamas. Is history bunk? Is Pomo dead? Is this the way Lisa Tort is going to spend the entire semester? Will any of this be on the final? Is this supposed to somehow be interesting? Find out the usual nothing in our next episode, Harvard, Ivy Factory or Undercover Beat Combine. Stop the presses. As an experiment in true nonsense... Jules and the Nostromite used Babblefish to translate this episode first into French and then back into English. Fans of the great Mark Twain will recall a similar transformation of a famous frog story, although in that case done by a human and not mechanical hands. Any wonder that yours truly keeps a statue of himself on the wall over the old apple too. This means now that if you look at the PDF of the story on the Nostrum website, you will see, first of all, the version that I just read. Following that, you will see a version translated by Old Babblefish, which is, I think, now owned by Google. I could be wrong on this, but it's an old automated translator translated by Babblefish 
If you know your Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, you know where that name comes from. Translated by Babel Fish into French. And then, further in the PDF, translated from the French by Babel Fish back into English. And what I'm going to do, I'm not going to read the whole thing to you. It's a visual sort of deal. You may want to lay these out end to end. And I do, by the way, recommend you go back and look at the celebrated jogger, celebrated frog, the celebrated jogger of Calaveras County. Now, the celebrated frog of Calaveras County in the translated versions that Mark Twain did, which is really one of the funniest things he ever did. But what I'm going to do now is I'm just going to read one or two things to you. Let's go back to the beginning that I just read. History is bunk. Lisa Tord is sitting on the edge of her desk, swinging her right leg back and forth, nursing her narrative-isn't coffee mug in her hands. It is the first day of the first class of the rest of her life, taking over Seth B. Obamash's social studies teaching assignment. This is, in fact, the first class of her own she has ever taught. She has her teaching certificate, and she has babysat more than her share of substitute classes, but this is the first class that is all hers, sort of... After all, it is, in a way, sloppy seconds, coming as it does as a legacy for Mobamash. The first quarter of the marking period is half over, and she doesn't know any of the kids' names, and these are the 11 seniors in the Vale of Ignorance's Advanced Placement European History class. Lisa Tort teaching AP Euro. Fate is a strange animal. Now, I will save you the French version because I really can't read French. But I will read to you just the what I just had in the translation back to English from the French. History is birth, B-E-R-T-H. Lisa that tort rests on the edge of its office, balancing its good leg in the two directions, nourishing its account is not coffee cup in its hands. French is one of those languages that has uh, genders, and uh, usually, usually the genders are wrong. So in the story, uh, Lisa Tord is referred to either as he or it, depending on where they get the uh, translation from. And I love the fact that uh, narrative isn't, is now, um, account is not. Anyhow, it is the first day of the first class of the remainder of its life, ensuring of the social studies of Seth B. Obamash teaching the assignment. It is, in fact, the first class of its clean, which it ever taught. It has its certificate of teaching, and it a supervises more than its share of the classes of replacement, but it is the first class which is all his. Of course, when I say all his, I really mean all hers. Sorting of. After all, it is of its way of the wet seconds, coming like it makes like legacy of Obamash. The first quarter of the period of inscription is finished half. It does not know any names of these kids, and they are the eleven seniors in the veil of the advanced European class of history of the placement of ignorance. Lisa Tort is teaching AP Euro. The destiny is a strange animal. I would add to that that the French is a strange animal. Or maybe the babblefish is a strange animal. Whatever. 
enjoy studying the manuscripts of this week's episode, and we'll see you next week.